Let's pray. Father, we just want to um, worship you. You are God and we are not. Jesus Christ, a name given to men by which none other can be saved. God, we thank you that the name of Jesus is above all other names. And that his name and by his authority every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord to the glory of God. God, we come into your presence today to praise you for the very lives that you have given us, for the spiritual life that you have given us through faith in Christ and his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection for those who have believed, that you have adopted us into your family as children. We can cry out, Abba, Father, what a privilege it is. And so, God, we come to you today and we sit at your feet, we sit at your feet to listen to your word to hear what you have to say to us, the counsel that you have to give us so that we can go out and make a difference in this world for your kingdom and for your purposes and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Things aren't always as they appear and as an example of that is found in the story that's told of a Chicago, Illinois man who uh, left the, stone, the snow-filled streets of Chicago for a vacation in Florida says his wife was on a business trip and, and was preparing to meet him there the following day. And when he reached his destination, his hotel, he decided to send her off a quick email. And for some reason, in the transmission, he missed one of the letters. And he sent it, unfortunately, he sent it in, uh, to a, an elderly preacher's wife whose husband had just passed away only the day before. says, and uh, while, while she was grieving, she checked her email and she saw this email, and she yelled, let out a piercing scream, and she passed out and fainted at the floor. At the sound of her scream, her family came running in to see what was going on, and here's what they saw in front of them on the screen. It said, honey, just got checked in. Everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow. <laughs> P.S. Sure is hot down here. <clears throat> you know... Things aren't always as they appear, and unfortunately, neither are some people. And uh, that's the focus of our study today as we examine Luke's ongoing like, uh, look at the life of Jesus. If you'll turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 37. In this passage, we find Jesus exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the lawyers who are assembled together at a dinner party at which they have invited Jesus to attend. As we examine the sin of hypocrisy, it becomes imperative that I ask the question, are you a hypocrite? And it's the same question I must ask of myself, am I a hypocrite? And we have to examine ourselves in the light of what God's word has to say. Am I a hypocrite? Are you a hypocrite? And how do we know other than the fact that we measure ourselves against the truth of God's word? And so in Luke chapter 11, we start with verse 37, we read these words. Now when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially uh, washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness, you foolish ones. Did not he who make, made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. 
But woe to you, Pharisee, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. And one of the lawyers said to him in reply, Well, teacher, when you say this, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. Consequently, you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will, send to some, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some of them they will persecute, in order that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the knowledge the key of knowledge, and you did not enter yourselves, and those who were entering in you hindered. And when he had left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. You know, in this passage and the one immediately following in Luke chapter 12, Jesus helps his listener to better understand uh, the subtle sin of hypocrisy. You know, the word hypocrisy is used 29 times in the New Testament in various forms, and it indicates the extent of the sin and also God's hatred of it. You know, it therefore becomes extremely important for all of us to understand, you know, what constitutes hypocrisy and to refrain from similar behavior as he warned as we listened to to the warning that was issued to the Pharisees first and then the group of lawyers or scribes. You know, hypocrisy by definition is simply this, the act of pretending to have a character or beliefs or principles that one does not possess. Pretense of virtue or piety, of false goodness. In the Greek, it had to do with that of acting of a part, pretense. As a synonym, it says to see, uh, to see deceit. So a hypocrite, therefore, if we think about this word, is a hypocrite is one who is given to hypocrisy, one who feigns virtue or piety, a pretender, an actor, a phony, a person who pretends to be one thing but is in reality something totally different. I don't know how many of you have ever run into a person who you felt was a hypocrite. And just there's something within the conscience that God gives us is something within our own souls that are stirred up by a person who pretends to be something and we know that they're not. You know, a friend of mine happens to be an actor and, uh, and I had the uh, pleasure of officiating at their wedding several years ago. And, be- <clears throat> and before the days of special effects, actors would put on a mask, particularly in the culture that the- in which the Bible was written, They would stand on a stage, and in order for the audience to recognize that they were now being somebody different, they would hold up a mask over their face, and then they would go ahead and and, uh, they would share the dialogue of that particular character. It helped them understand who the character was, and oftentimes in life, it's hard sometimes to separate the person from the character, and that's the danger of hypocrisy. 
This friend and I were golfing at Tustin Ranch uh, a few years back, and as we were walking out of the clubhouse, a gal came walking by who recognized him from this TV series that he does. And he, and he looked at him, and he called, she called him by his, his, his actor name. And then, he, and then she said, I don't understand. Why did you break up with so-and-so? And he just went, you know, I, you know, I'm still married. I haven't broke up with anybody. No, no, no. You know, the gal on the show that you were dating, I don't understand. You guys just had this chemistry. I don't understand why you broke up with her. And we just walked away shaking our head that, man, you know, it's like, it's like get a life, you know. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, a, he's acting. He's an actor. He's not, that's not who he is. And a lot of times, you know, we can't separate the actor from the real person. And, and what God is warning all of us as we look at this section is that, you know what, we should be people that what we see, what people see is, is what they get. There should not be any pretense. There should not be any pretending. There shouldn't be any acting. We shouldn't act a certain way in this group. And then we come here to church and we put on our church face. You know, and then we go to our Bible study and we put on a Bible study look. And then we go out on the construction site and we're just like everybody else that's there. We go to our place of business and we act just like them or we go into the clubhouse, you know, and we act just like everybody else. God doesn't want us to act like everybody else. He wants us to be who we are. Those who have trusted in Christ and have been redeemed, that have been changed, old things pass away, all things become new. He wants us to be salt and He wants us to be light. He wants us to be who He has made us to become in the world in which we live so that people are attracted to Jesus Christ. We're not to be phonies. We're not to be pretenders. We're not to be actors. What you see is what you get. And people may not like it, but as long as God is pleased, it doesn't matter what people think. What we're going to see, that's the the underlying foundation and the basis of this conflict that takes place with Jesus and those who invited him to this dinner party. What he's going to expose to them is that, you know what, what people see is not who you really are. And as we look at this, there are several things from our outline that we'll point out. And first thing is this, we look at Jesus' remarks to the Pharisees. And we find them in verses 37 through 41. And these remarks reveal the root problem of hypocrisy. He says, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and he reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You're foolish ones. Did he who made you the outside also make the inside? Isn't that the truth? Having gone through Luke's account of Jesus' life to date, we've seen the increased hostility and resentment on the part of the religious leaders towards Jesus. And the Pharisees, which the name literally means separate ones, were thought to be holy men who took pride in keeping the rituals of the law. And many of them were also scribes, experts in the law, who often added to the law so that others would meticulously keep the law as they kept the law from an external point of view. As people would look at their life, they'd say, wow, look at these people. They're really godly people because on the outside, look how they come across to everybody. And as we walk into this, we recognize that the Pharisees were continually trying to set Jesus up. They believed that he had a disrespect for the law. They were wrong in that assessment, but that's what they believed. And they were continually trying to find reasons to fault him. And they would dig pits for him to fall into. 
And so you can imagine the delight in their faces and also, as we're told, the surprise that when Jesus walked in to have dinner with them, he bypassed the ceremonial hand washing that always took place before you ate a meal. The Pharisees were very, they were very meticulous about making sure your hands were clean because the hands would defile a man. And they had, they would hold him up a certain way. They would pour water a certain way. They would make sure that it ran down this way and dripped this way. They would then go this direction and no, never would you do both because if the dirt ran back down to your hands you'd have to start all over again and so as he walked in the door they were all washing their hands and jesus just went right to the table to sit down and they were thinking yes we got him this is so this is amazing we thought it would take longer than this but it, it was right off the bat here we go right off the bat we've got him right here and jesus as god knows our hearts and knows our thoughts looked at them and said to them but the lord said to him now you'll notice that he didn't say anything to jesus he was just surprised that jesus didn't wash his hands the way he was supposed to according to their thinking and he looked at him and said now you know what but the lord said Now, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones. Did he who made the outside make the inside also? I mean, can you imagine this this omission of Jesus, of washing his hands, this ritual hand washing, was a premeditated, calculated affront on his part, and it became the perfect platform to teach them and confront them on their own hypocrisy, and also it's a great teaching tool for all of us as we ask the question, am I a hypocrite? Notice he immediately judged their attitudes. And as we also find out, he judges their action. He's saying in contrast to what you think, outer actions should never be confused with the proper internal attitude, the heart. You can do all the things on the outside and it look good to other people and it seems like you're really doing a good job. But God knows our hearts. My prayer, my concern is always that people that are involved in serving God in any capacity... While we could put on a happy face and a happy front and we can make it look like we're really, you know, serving God, God knows the bitterness and the grumbling and the moaning and complaining of our heart. My concern is that any of us who are involved in ministry in any area, whether it's leading worship, teaching the Word of God, serving in other areas, that we don't have a hypocritical approach to worship. That we don't stand and we, we, we lead in praise and we have a happy face. But God knows our hearts are far from God. Because as we'll see, God's not mocked by that. And what Jesus calls to, 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 to light and he, and he sheds a light on is this. You look like you're doing the right things externally, but you're far from God. You're far from God. And attitude always precedes action. What we think is who we are and what we become. That's why Jesus said, you know, it's from the heart that precedes every evil thing in a man. It's from his heart. What he thinks first is ultimately then what he does. That's why the Bible warns so clearly that you and I are to always take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. How we think is how we will act, is what we will become. Attitude determines action. And we need to recognize the danger of our thought life. If you'll notice, everyone that falls in Scripture, there was always a thought life that preceded their sin. 
You know, David, he saw Bathsheba. He thought, wow, I wonder what she would be like to have. And he began to think and entertain those thoughts, and those thoughts led to his action. Where he made his mistake was, number one, he should have had his eyes looking straight ahead. Number two is he should have been out on the battlefield with the rest of his men. He shouldn't have been there goofing around and, and, and doing things he shouldn't have been doing. He should have been more disciplined in his spiritual life. He should have had his eyes fixed straight ahead. He shouldn't have been looking around, entertaining these thoughts. And, and, he, and, and that's why he ultimately fell. That's why Jesus said when you lust after a person in your heart, you know, you've already committed adultery because you're already planning and plotting and thinking about what it will be like. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And Jesus revealed that, you know what, their external action should never be confused with internal attitude. We need to be aware of that as well. The problem with the Pharisees and many folks today is that they gave externally, but they did not give themselves to the Lord. You know, Jesus cited the ultimate sobering reality that God knows. He said, you're foolish people. He said, you're foolish people. He says, but give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. Jesus, on a similar occasion, said, you hypocrites... Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Matthew 15, 7 through 9, as he quotes from Isaiah 29, 13. Their external lip service was at odds with their internal heart reality. They were far from God. You know, their freshly washed hands contradicted their dirty, unwashed hearts. It would be like saying to a person who has a dirty vocabulary that the way to clean up your vocabulary is to brush your teeth. Now, I got to admit, there were times when our children were younger when they said stupid things that we helped think about it with a little squirt of uh, liquid soap. It's beautiful. You know, hey, call social services. But I'll tell you what, man, you get one squirt of liquid soap, you think twice about saying stupid things after that. You know, and it would be like they'd be crying and bubbles would be coming out of their mouth and the nose and stuff. And it was like, hey, you know what? But we all got to learn somehow. And, uh, but the reality is it's not, the, you know, it's, it's not the, the, the tongue that's the problem. We got to tame the tongue, but the way you tame the tongue is with the heart. Now, I may, now a whole bunch of you other people are feeling so good about how you disciplined your kids now. You're like, oh, man... He squirted soap in their mouth. You know, you're going to go to your kids and ask for an apology now. Our pastor squirted soap in his kid's mouth. All we did was ground you. Um, but anyway, but the reality of it is, is that, you know what, our hearts need to be right with God. How do you have a right, a right heart with God? Hey, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. See, with the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with his tongue, he confesses unto salvation. See, we all need a heart transplant. The great physician, the greatest cardiologist ever, Jesus Christ, the great physician, he, he replaces a, a hard, cold, stony heart with one made of flesh that is sensitive to God. We need our hearts changed. We need a heart transplant. And all the external things of the world can never make up for that heart transplant that comes by grace through faith to the finished work of Christ. Do you have a new heart? 
one that is made of flesh and not of stone, that is hard and cold towards God, but one that is sensitive to God. See, Jesus' words literally, literally read, but rather give what is inside as your offering to God, and you will find everything is clean for you. As God's people, he says to you and I who have come to faith in Christ, he says, you know what, give what is inside. Give up your sin. Give up your wickedness. Give up your evil. Stop presenting yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness, but of instruments of righteousness for God. Confess your sin. Agree with God what you're doing is wrong, and He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, these men weren't willing to give up their hearts because they thought as long as their external deeds were what looked pleasing to others, their hearts were far from God. How, how is your heart? Are you a hypocrite who you do the external things, but you haven't surrendered your heart to God? You haven't repented and turned from sin. You haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, His death on the cross on your behalf and the power of His resurrection. You come to church, but you've never come to Christ. You sit in the chairs, but you've never sat at the feet of of Jesus at the cross and begged for His forgiveness. And being in church and being in Christ is an eternally different destination. You can be in church and end up in hell. But when you come to faith in Christ, your future is secure in Him. The Pharisees weren't willing to give their hearts to God. They were content with external actions. And they were far from Him. Jesus continues the lesson. As we next see that his rebuke of the Pharisees in verses 42 through 44, he begins to rebuke them. You know, Jesus' initial woe fell hard on the Pharisees' added towards, uh, towards tithing. You know, in verse 42 it says, But woe to you Pharisees. And the word woe is, you know, I, 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 I feel sorry for you. My heart breaks for you. My heart breaks for those of you who believe that you can work your way into God's favor. My heart breaks for you who think you can do external things and keep your heart hard towards God and far from God and think somehow you're right with God. My heart breaks for you. Jesus' heart broke for them. He wasn't just getting in their face. He wasn't slamming them. He was saying, my heart breaks for you. Woe unto you. Woe to the Pharisees. Woe to you. For you pay your tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb. And yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You know, the Pharisees loved tithing because they loved to boast about their giving. Jesus warned them about it in Matthew 6. You know, they stand out and they love to let everybody know about their giving. They would go to the offering box, so to speak, and they would wait till there was a bigger crowd. And then they would make sure everybody sees them drop it in. You know, they wanted everybody to know that they tithed. They wanted everybody to know about how generous they were externally and, and all that they giving that they do. They wanted others, especially non-givers, to know about it. The Pharisees tithed, and you know, we've got to give them props for that, which is more than we can say about most of the professing church today. You know, if you read every, every study that comes out, every survey that comes out, every statistical report that comes out, the average professing believer gives less than 3% of their gross income to further the gospel. And if you doubt that, all you've got to do is, it's tax time, just look at your tax return and look at how much you've given to spread the gospel this past year in relation to your gross income. Do the math and see what the percentage is. 
So in some ways, we've got to recognize that they, they gave. The problem was, as Jesus said, he didn't, he didn't rebuke them for giving. He rebuked them for giving and thinking that giving externally was enough. His rebuke was, yeah, you give, but you know what? But your hearts are far from God. Your hearts are far from people. You disregard justice. You disregard the love for God. You tithe, that's great. Every synagogue that had giving Pharisees always did well financially. They always had their financial needs met. The resources were there. My concern is, is that, you know, we want people to give, but to give from a cheerful heart, to give because you recognize that that's the least that we can do in light of what God has given us in Christ and his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection, the forgiveness that we find in him, recognizing we're stewards of God's resources. Every, every penny that God gives us comes from him. That's why 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 talking about giving says, you know, at first give of yourselves to the Lord. And then give from the resources that God has given you. You know you've been here long enough. I don't stand here and I hardly ever preach about giving. But I'm not going to ignore it in light of the context and the passages. You know, I'm not going to pull it in from left field because, oh, we got a piece of property we're trying to develop. Or because this, that, or the other thing. And I'm going to try to squeeze it in and fit it in. But I'm going to tell you right now, when the Word of God clearly teaches something that we need to understand and know, I'm not going to avoid talking about it either because there's a message there for all of us. He commended them for giving, but he said it wasn't enough. Sometimes some of us think that, hey, you know what, but I tithe and I write my check and therefore I don't have to serve in any other area of the church, you know. And others think that, you know what, well, I don't tithe, but at least I serve in other areas. Listen, God wants everything. He wants it all. He wants us to give of ourselves first to the Lord. And then he wants us to give of our resources, recognizing that they all come from him. And God, you multiply the seed. But you know what? If you're tithing, praise God for you. But you know what? We also want you finding an area to serve as well. Because, you know, there's spiritual gifts that God has given you to use for the equipping of saints, for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ. Find that place God wants you to serve. Give and give of yourself. It's easy sometimes to write a check and then to selfishly go about our lives, especially those who have more disposable income than others. It's easy to write a check. It's harder to give of ourselves for those folks. It's hard to give of ourselves, uh, give a check whenever, you know what, our resources are a little tight. It's easier to give of our time and of ourselves, but God wants to stretch our faith muscles. He wants us to see that he can provide. He wants us to see that when we put him first and our priorities are in order, that all things, that he can do all things through Christ. We can through Christ who strengthens us. And he's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. For those of you who have never really given back to God as, as, a, as a thank you for what he has done, I challenge you to start someplace. I don't care what it is. That's between you and God. But to start giving and you will see that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. I run into people all the time with financial problems. Never go away because they've never learned to put God first in their life. There's never enough material things. There's never enough money. There's never enough of anything because they haven't learned to give back to God in honor of who he is from the first fruit of our life. You know what the Pharisees did? I mean, they took every mint leaf that they had and they took the tithe right from it. Can you imagine every herb that they had? They took and divided it out to make sure they were meticulous about every blessing God has given. I'm going to make sure, God, I give it back to you. And Jesus said, you know what? That's great. But you know what the problem is? Your heart's far from God. Your heart's far from God. 
And that's why Micah 6, 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amos 5, 21 and 24 says this that is relating to this particular passage. He said, I hate, God saying, I hate and I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't even accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never failing stream. He's saying, basically what he's saying to us today is that, you know what, your church service gets me sick. It gets me sick. I see you give, but your heart's far from me. I hear you sing songs of praise, but you're not even paying attention to who I am. You're not even focusing on me. You're focusing more on whether you like the song or not, whether this is your kind of music or not. He said, what about, where does God come in? When do we think of Him and praise Him and worship Him? I'll tell you right now, there are some songs that we sing here on Sunday mornings. They go, you know what? It's it's, It's just not my music style. But you know what, though? But if it helps me to focus on God and to praise Him and to come into His presence and worship Him and give Him the praise and give Him the glory, then praise God. And we need to recognize and understand, look around, man. We've got a whole group of people that are just so different from one another. And we've got little lobbyists that run around going, hey, you know what? Make sure you tell everybody we like the old hymns because then they'll do more of them. And then we've got the other lobbyists over here running around saying, hey, we want contemporary music, so we'll do more of that. And then we're all trying to, you know, jockey for posturing and positioning. And all I'm going to ask you is what I ask of myself. Have you thought about what God is pleased with? Is it honoring to God? Does it please God? Does He accept our worship? And is it a pleasant sound in His ear? Or because of all the grumbling of our heart, He says, you people get me sick. Knock it off. It's not about you. It's about Him. And it always will be. About him. My prayer every time we get together. Is God. Are you pleased. At what we're doing. Are you pleased with our worship. Are you pleased with our offerings. Are you pleased with my presentation. Of your message. To people. And if you're pleased. That's all that matters to me. And I don't really care. What anybody else thinks. Don't take that personal. Well, maybe you should take it personal. (laughs) But that's what I'm learning about hypocrisy. We say things with our lips and our hearts are far from God. My prayer is that we're all broken over this. That our heart breaks. That we ask God for forgiveness. And we focus on Him again. Because it's all about Him. See, their problem was they wanted people to be pleased by what they did. Now, you think that it's tough sometimes, and I know it's tough because I'm dealing with the same thing that you are. And, you know, God's Spirit convicts my heart when I'm wrong with God. You know, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching rebuke. And rebuke is what we've got going here, correction and training in righteousness. That's a good thing. But can, now, put, put yourself at this dinner party. You know, I want you to stop and think about this for a second. It's one thing to say, you know, I think the food's a little undercooked or overcooked. 
It's another thing to be going, you know what? You people are just dirty. I mean, you're just filthy, dirty from within. You know, your hearts are far from God. It's like, woe to you. My heart breaks for you. You, you, you give, but you don't show justice and mercy to people. They would go to the offering box, but when somebody had a need, they would walk right by him. See, the problem is that, you know, Jesus pointed out the, their hypocrisy by calling attention to their pride. In verse 43, he said, you know, here, here's the problem. Woe to you, for you love the front seats and the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. You like to be up front in the synagogue. The seats up front actually didn't face this way. They faced the audience. And they liked everybody to see that they were up front. And then we would hear the rabbi preach, and then they would go like this. They'd go... Or they would go, you know, like they would show their disdain for, you know, what that was or the, what the other thing. And, and they liked people to see them. They liked to be up front. They wanted people to recognize that, you know, their, their foolishness here was that, you know, their pride left no room for God. That, you know, this God they so meticulously served. You know, in fact, it left no room for real faith. And that was why Jesus' heart was broken. In John five forty four, he said, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another Yet you make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God. I mean, what's, it's like what he's saying is, what's wrong with you people? Why are you so worried about getting praise of men and you're not concerned about the praise of God? Come on. Get your priorities in, a, in an order. They mistakenly put reputation above character. They thought that sitting in the right seats... You know, being recognized by the right people would make them somehow more spiritual. You know, it's been said, and I like this, that reputation is what people think we are. And character is what God knows we are. We need to become more focused on our character than our reputation. Though reputation is to be desired more than gold or silver... If our character is right with God, then our reputation will be right with some men. Not all men. I'll guarantee you, if you're light in the place of your business, if you stand for Jesus Christ and the gospel, Him crucified as a believer, at your place of business, in your family, at your school, on your team, in your community, in your neighborhood, if you take a stand for Jesus, let me tell you something. Not all men will like you. Some will hate and despise you. Jesus said, Be, beware if all men think well of you. If everybody's saying good things about you, then you know what? You're not preaching truth. Because there's no way in a fallen world that fallen people are going to speak highly of you if, if, if you confront them of their sin and their need to repent. There's just no way. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees still exists today and we must guard against Christian celebrity. What's interesting is I got a flyer in the mail, and especially around Easter time and things where churches are trying to reach people to come to their services and things like that. I got this flyer in the mail, and, and it was advertising, listen to this, an all-star worship band. An all-star worship band. Have you ever heard of an oxymoron like that? An all-star worship band. That's like jumbo shrimp. I mean, it's just like, come on, think about it, you know? You know, or a, a bowl of hot chili. You know, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. An all-star worship band? What, 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 what is that? You know, it's calling attention to the band, the praise band, and not to the God we're here to praise. 
There's no room for all-star worship bands. Worship isn't watching and enjoying others perform. It's participating. It's being led into the presence of God and recognizing that He is worthy of our praise. On a similar note, you know, teaching God's Word should focus on God and His truth, convicting by God's Spirit to repent if need be and to obey God. You know, I, I don't personally, I don't care if anybody ever remembers my name, but when a person leaves here, I want them to remember Jesus. I want, to, I want them to remember their need to, to turn from sin and to turn to Christ. I want them to realize that God lo- loves them and sent Christ to die on the cross for their sins. I want them to realize it's all about Jesus. I want them to realize that, you know what, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. If he's not, he's dead in their sins. And they have a need to go to the cross and, and seek his forgiveness, trusting in his death and in his resurrection. I don't care if anybody ever knows my name, because I know God does. And not only does I know my name before I live the day, but he knows every day that I'll live before I lived one. And he knows every hair, and he's got every hair in my head numbered. He knows when I get up. He knows what I think. He knows when I rise. He knows when I go to sleep. He knows everything about me. And you know what? I praise God for that, because he also knows when I need to repent of sin and agree with him that what's in my life's wrong before God. And I know that as I confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Who cares whether anybody knows us? We can't save anybody. But it matters whether they know Jesus. Because he's the only name, the only authority that God has given to men under heaven by which men can be saved. It's all about him. You know, Jesus' last woe or rebuke of the Pharisees focuses on their deception. Notice in verse 44. He goes on to say that, um, the, here's the problem, woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs. He said, you're like concealed tombs. And, and, the, and the people, you know, they walk over them, are unaware of it. He said, and it's really important to recognize and understand that with the, the dead, you know, t- any contact with the dead would defile a man. Numbers 19, 11 through 22. And that's why Matthew mentions the yearly whitewashing of graves before the Passover. They never wanted anybody to walk over a dead person's, you know, a, a, a tomb of a dead body because it would defile a person. And if you were defiled, you couldn't go into the temple and you have to go through the ceremonial cleansing. And so what he's saying is, is that, you know what, you're just like these dead tombs. The irony here is that the Pharisees were so concerned about external religion, they were actually sources of spiritual contamination to those who were unsuspecting of the filth and dirt within them. You know, they were unclean. They were, as it were, full of dead men's bones, so as to speak. And they were monstrously deceptive. And the deception was is that people thought they were leading them into a closer walk with God. They were actually taking them further away. They were contaminated. You know, they're like a person that worked at a restaurant, you know, that had some type of, uh, you know, hepatitis and they were serving food and, and people that came to the restaurant were eating the meals and thinking that everything was fine to find out later when they got sick that it was somebody that was serving them food that made them sick. They didn't see how dirty they were because they couldn't see what God saw. All they saw was the external things and they looked pretty clean. And Jesus said, you're not clean. The internal real lives of the Pharisees didn't resonate with what they professed. And isn't that what hypocrisy is all about? What they were inside wasn't what they were projecting outside. You know, they were filled with greed. They were stingy. They were hard-hearted. They were prideful. They were arrogant. 
And the point of all of it is, it's inevitably, as it communicates to us, are we hypocrites? You know, think about that. Are we hypocrites? Do we walk around and make sure that we give the exact percentage of our tithe, and yet our love for God doesn't exist? Do we show up, you know, ritually and make sure that we're at church and we take pride in the fact that, hey, you know, I didn't miss it all and I got so many consecutive days going or whatever it is, and yet our hearts are far from God the rest of the week? You know, are we hypocrites? We need to recognize and understand that God knows our thoughts and our desires and our actions. And we need to make sure that what we profess with our lips is the same that is what is in our heart. What you see is what you get. Would you be willing to have people follow you around during the week to talk to your spouse, to talk to your children, to talk to your employer, your co-workers, and ask them about your faith in Jesus Christ? How many would be surprised that they would find out for the first time that you were a Christian? I hear that regularly. I didn't know that he was a Christian. Oh, I didn't know you were one either. Well, why don't any of us know? Because none of us live like we're supposed to live in a manner that's worthy of our calling. In closing, and I think we got enough on our plates, don't we? In closing, How can our hearts be right with God? Let me just reiterate the simplicity of the truth of God's word. Jesus said, but rather rather than doing it externally, give what is inside as your offering and you will find everything is clean for you. Give what's on the inside. See, that's why Paul said, I urge you, I beg you, I beg you and I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And and don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like everybody else. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? When we give our hearts to God and trust in Christ as our Savior. When we say, God, you make me into the person you want me to be. And then, and only then, will you and I know what God's will is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. If you're compromising, don't. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Get in the Word of God. Study His Word. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Have deep roots So that in the day-to-day battle of this life, we will be everything that God expects and demands us to be. So that He can use us to draw people to the cross. So that He can use us to bring glory to Himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And and God, I know there's nothing easy about listening to this. And I can't even imagine being one of the Pharisees at that dinner party and being rebuked 
by the very word of God in human flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, you tell us that all scripture is inspired by God. It comes from your mouth. And it's profitable for teaching truth, for rebuke when we're wrong, that we need to recognize and know when we're wrong, for correction of how to be right, and for training how to stay right. God, I pray for those who are living a hypocritical life, that what we see as people on the outside isn't what you know to be true of the inside or of the heart. God, that they would turn their hearts to you, that you would take that piece of rock and you would remove it and replace it with a heart of flesh that is sensitive to your, to your will in their life. That they would repent and turn from sin and turn to Christ as the only provision for the forgiveness of sin, His death on the cross and the power of His resurrection. To be born again by your will and not by our own efforts. To be adopted into your family as a child of God to those who believe in His name. And God, as my prayer is your people, as your children, that we will not live hypocritical lives like an actor who pretends to play a part or a role of a believer. But the world, when they see our life, they recognize that, you know what, what you see is what you get. And the tongue of our mouth and the tongue of our shoe are going in the same direction. And they're not, and they're not surprised to learn that we are one of your people. In fact, they expected it because they have seen the way we live. They have heard the words that come out of our mouth. They have seen our love for you. God, I pray that you would continue to bless our offerings, that you will multiply that seed for your purposes and for your glory, and that we will give with a cheerful heart, knowing that it's just a a thank you, a small token of appreciation for everything that you have given to us. I pray for those who think they're buying your favor, that they recognize that that can't be done that if they're given for any other reason, that they should just stop and give themselves first and then give of the resources you've given them. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for your word, even when it's tough to hear and tough to accommodate in our life. We know that it's truth, and your truth sets us free. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.